Hey, thanks for joining us again as we are in this series called Finding Life. Last week was Easter and we were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ and also the fact that our lives, that eternal life that you and I need, that you and I are searching for is grounded in his resurrection. And look, as we're working through this, there's one simple question that kind of has been rising up. And that is, do I really need that though? Do I really need Jesus? Do I really need this kind of eternal life? You know, for me, it brings me back to when I was a kid. I loved, loved PC games. They were brand new and they were coming out. Everything from Maniac Mansion to my favorite, which was actually an adaptation of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I had gotten into this game and you had to go through all the different levels and solve all the riddles and the puzzles and stuff till finally at the end, at the final moment, you were supposed to pick out which one was the cup of Christ. The problem was the first time I played the game, I kind of cut some corners and ignored some things and ultimately wound up guessing and I chose poorly, right? And it just didn't go well, I fell apart. And so I came to realize something, right? That if I misunderstand where I'm going, I misunderstand what I need to be ready. And when I misunderstand where I'm going, what that final level is gonna be like, or what that final destination is gonna be like, or whatever it is that, that I'm going towards, when I misunderstand that, I'm not gonna know what I need. Case in point for me in the physical world was when my wife and I headed to Indonesia. We had a layover in Bali that was pretty long, and we knew that. And we had people describe to us what Bali was like. We had people tell us what we might need. In fact, there was conflicting visions. One said, it's awesome, there are beaches, you can watch the sunrise, you can watch the sunset. Get a taxi, head on out, watch the sunset on your layover. Another person said, no, you're gonna be exhausted, just get a hotel. Well, we listened to the sunset advice and when we landed, we found ourselves not knowing the language, not understanding the currency, freaked out about whether or not we could drink the water even in a Starbucks, thought we could put our luggage somewhere and realized probably wasn't the best idea, wasn't allowed into the terminal for the next domestic flight until two hours before our flight, which was the middle of the night, and we had nowhere to sleep and we were exhausted after 14 hours. Had we understood where we were going, we probably would have chosen a better solution. We would have been ready for what was coming. Now, the problem is we, we had this conflict. And there's a lot of people actually giving us conflict, conflicting information about the ultimate life that's ahead, about what happens after death. And Jesus, wanting us to know what was going on, actually tells us where we're going so that we will be ready. He says, hey guys, I want you to know where you're headed so that you don't misunderstand me and that you've chosen to be prepared in the right way. And in fact, he tells us this at the end of one of his greatest, actually the greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. We find it here in Matthew chapter 7. If you actually want to grab your Bible, open it up with me, or open up an app, you can join with me right there in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read a very famous statement that he makes as he draws out a picture of two different roads. And this is what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, Jesus says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now here's what's interesting is that Jesus tells us where we're going, but it's probably not what we thought. I think if you're an average American, if you've just lived in church here and there once in a while, or, or maybe you're just watching this because somebody shared it with you, you think, yeah, you know what, I don't really need Jesus, I'm headed to heaven. I mean, the default position of every human being is to die and go to heaven, right? That's the whole point. 
Let's live life, die, and we go to heaven. Yet Jesus says, hold on here a second. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to enter by the narrow gate. This narrow gate is the one that leads to life. This narrow gate is the one that takes you in the right direction. Yes, it's small. It's, it's difficult. You find it, right? And what he's saying here is you're in the wrong direction. You need to go find the right direction. And I find that fascinating because so often growing up, I thought, man, I'm headed to heaven. And Jesus goes, no, 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 you got to understand you've got the wrong default setting. See, the gate that's wide and the gate that's easy is the gate that leads to this idea called destruction. And the majority, the popular road, the popular direction goes to this destruction. And here I need to pause because this word is an intense word. And it's a word that we need to be careful about because pastors throughout history have had bad bedside manners when it comes to this. You know, like a, almost like a doctor coming in telling you, hey, I got good news and bad news. You don't got COVID-19, yay, but you got terminal cancer. That'd be a horrible bedside manner. In the same way, we got to be careful when I deliver a conversation about this idea of destruction that I don't sound glib, that I don't sound excited, that I don't sound angry and passionate. And maybe you've heard conversations about concepts like destruction and pastors have made it sound like they're all excited about it. No, no, no. This is a hard doctrine. This is a hard concept. Destruction is difficult not only to deliver, it's hard to actually listen to the definition. In fact, the term destruction isn't new with Jesus. He's picking it up from the Old Testament. Back when God was forming the nation of Israel, he gave the Ten Commandments to his people from Mount Sinai. In fact, after that, he began to roll out to Moses a series of commandments. And involved in those commandments was a concept that shows up in Exodus chapter 22, beginning in verse 20. It says, whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. He's saying, look, if the sojourner, if the, other, if the foreigner comes into Israel, if you Israelites worship any other god, you bow down to any other spiritual being, any other thing turned into a God, you're devoted to destruction. Technically, this is a term that the Old Testament scholars call the ban. This would be put on anything that was used for false worship. This would be put on anybody who acted falsely. They'd be banned, cast out of the community, never to be redeemed, never to be brought back in, never to be brought back into a situation of fellowship in Israel. In fact, when it came to the Canaanites, some of the most difficult stuff that you and I will read is that God put them under the ban. They'd come to the end of their destination of sin against God so often that God said, I'm done. I don't want anything kept. Destroy all of it. I don't want you Israelites profiting. No, we're done. This is my judgment, he's saying. And that's hard for us. Because we think of God like as the, as the God who's loving, you know, like Grandpa God up in the sky, you know. Oh, you kids are so cute. Oh, you did a little bad thing. You're not a little kid. You have a sucker. You know, that's not God. God is very comfortable telling us in the Old Testament that, yes, he has a limit to his patience. It can run out, and then eventually we're under the ban. You can't be redeemed. You can't be bought back. You can't be saved. And there's this journey that Jesus says that we're on that leads to this destruction, this ban. Now, praise God, we're on a journey. We haven't hit it yet. But he says, listen, you're, you're on the broad path. 
You're on the destination in rebellion against God, worshiping other gods and other things. If you're ignoring God, man, you're on the journey not to heaven. You're on a journey, as Jesus would call it later, to hell. We, that's how we would translate his term called Gehenna. And I want to be careful here as we go forward, because again, this is overwhelmingly just difficult stuff. It's something that I wouldn't believe unless Jesus said it. It's something I didn't want to make up, and I don't think human beings made it up. It's not some kind of, hey, I'm going to tell you this to scare you into heaven. That's not the goal. It's really a good guide, like Jesus trying to tell us where we're really going, because Jesus loves us, and loving people tell us the truth. And so Jesus literally tells us what this place, Gehenna, this place, hell, is like. In fact, hell is defined as a garbage pit. Gehenna was the Valley of Hinnom. And the Valley of Hinnom was the place where they once sacrificed children to the god of Moloch. And it became so ugly and so awful. What they did is they took that place and turned it into a garbage pit and was constantly on fire. And basically what Jesus is saying is, you want to know what hell is? It's, it's the location of that which is ultimately so destroyed, it's worthless, it's done. It, it's the valley of destroyed souls, in a sense. Now, I'm going to go through a few of these verses as Jesus describes. It's going to feel like we're like trolling through WebMD when you've got a couple sniffles. It's just frightening every single thing you look at. And so I want you to bear with me for a minute as we look at this, but we're going to hit them quickly because Jesus describes hell more than he ever describes heaven. He, more than he ever describes this, this beauty of where we're going to go, God willing, in him, he describes where our destiny is if nothing changes. He starts and he says a few times, we're not going to hit them all, but he's for, here's one, Matthew 8, 12. He says, hey, then the people of the nations, they're going to come in while the sons of the kingdom, they're going to be thrown into the outer darkness because they think they're righteous. And here he says, they're outer darkness. It's mean it's away from the light of God, away from knowledge, out of God's kingdom. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth weeping from sorrow, weeping from our position. There's a sense of psychological just sadness and depression there. At the same time, there's gnashing of teeth. Now, we don't know if that's from pain, like, or if that's gritting your teeth because you're so stinking mad, angry. Both of those are concepts that occur there. In fact, Jesus will describe it another time. He says, the son of man will send his angels and they will gather out, out of his kingdom all causes of sin. So this is a place that anything that causes somebody to sin is going to be at. Any kind of temptation will be found there. All this kind of stuff is going to be cast away from God's kingdom where all the addictions and all the junk that we can find ourselves being pulled to that's evil, man, that won't be in God's kingdom. That's going to be pushed down into this outer darkness. He says, also there are all the lawbreakers. So this is a place of justice. Everybody who's ever done something wrong has to pay for it, no matter what they've done. And so this is the place like a prison that they'll go to. And he says, they're going to throw them into the fiery furnace. Fire is a, a depiction of, of kind of the intensity of how bad it'll be. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, he says one more time, uh, like WebMD, this is rough. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire. He says, this is an everlasting situation. Just as eternal life endures, so does this kind of eternal destruction. But it wasn't made for men. It was made for the rebels, the devil and his angels. It was made for those demonic and, and spiritual beings that have been fighting God. And so when the path leads to destruction, we're really on the side of the devil and his angels. 
We're not on the side of eternal life with God. Instead, we wind up being aligned in the wrong direction. Now, I, I tell you guys this, and I bring this up, but when we talk about destruction, we talk about hell, it's difficult to hear. In fact, so overwhelming. It's too bad to be true. That's how we think of it. If you've ever seen a horror movie, if you've ever been sitting in one, I sat and watched The Ring, last one I ever watched. And on our way out, my friend, he gives me a phone call. We both laugh. But we're thinking in our heads, oh, thank goodness that that's not how reality really is. It would be overwhelming to think a horror movie was real. And here's the problem. It's overwhelming, psychologically overwhelming to think that hell could be real. And so we have to respond to it. It overwhelms us and it crushes us in such a way that to be quite honest, there's only really two answers. The first answer is we need to tell ourselves where we're going. We need to convince ourselves we're not headed to hell. We're going somewhere else. And that's really the first major thing that we do. We tell ourselves there's just no way. I'm not headed there. And I know this is a fact because throughout the years I've done many funerals. And it doesn't matter what kind of the person, what kind of life the person lived or who they were or how they treated their family. Someone inevitably always comes up and says this, you know, they're in a better place. Because we believe that's where everybody goes. We have to tell ourselves that. We don't want to believe any of our family members, even our worst family members would wind up in destruction in a situation that like Jesus is describing to us. Man, that's overwhelming. It's uncomfortable because I don't want to believe that I would be there. In fact, we disagree with Jesus. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. We say, no, the gate that's wide and the gate that's easy should be the one leading to life. That's how it should be. That's how I believe it is. And in fact, what we do and so we look at ourselves and we say, I know I don't deserve to go to destruction. I don't think anybody I know deserves to go to destruction, but there are some people. And so we almost kind of produce this scale, right? Like this scale. Down here, we've got the people that we would put down here. Serial killers, Adolf Hitler, stuff like this. And then we got this evil scale way down here. And then you go all the way up here to Mother Teresa and some of the great saints of the world who've done awesome things. And we go, well, I'm not this good, but I'm definitely not down here. I'm somewhere in here. Me, I'm, I'm I'm good in here. Maybe I'm a little bit good. Maybe you're like, yeah, I'm a little bit bad, but I'm not going to hell. I'm not like Hitler. What's fascinating is hell is reserved and destruction is deserved for people who have done massive destruction in life. And I agree. Absolutely. But here's the problem. When I look at other people who are better than me and other people who are worse than me, and I've done this throughout my life, what I become is self-righteous. I was a kid who was beat up and picked on enough times that the way I responded was to become better than others intellectually, better than others in my own heart and mind, better than others. I was going to prove everybody how good I was. And what I became was a self-righteous little punk. I became proud. I became sure of myself in ways that I shouldn't have been sure. And here's the reality. When we think like this, man, when we're pointing at everybody else who's worse than us and I'm better and yeah, maybe some of those people deserve hell, but I don't know who they are. We are just being self-righteous. We're measuring by a broken standard. In fact, you were to ask Mother Teresa or you were to ask Billy Graham or somebody that we put way up here on the top, what standard should we really be looking at? They would tell you, ah, the standard's way different. You see, yeah, there's evil and good, but it's, it's down here and it's up here. You know, the problem isn't whether you're evil or good. It's what relationship do you have with God? Is your relationship right with God? Or is it broken with God? 
See, you can be evil or you can be good and have a broken relationship with God. I have friends, I know people who have a broken relationship with their parents, but they are good people. It's just they are strained in their relationship. They don't talk and they don't get along and they don't converse with them. I know people who have a great relationship with their parents and are horrible, horrible people. Here's the difference when it comes to God. When we have a right relationship with God, whether we were evil or good in man's sight, when we have that right relationship with God, he takes the evil people who have a right relationship with him and he starts to make them good. And he takes the good people who have a right relationship with him and he makes them even better. See, the standard is this way with humanity, but it's the question, do you have a right relationship with God or a broken relationship with God? Because that's what it's about. And as Paul says, reflecting Jesus and quoting the Old Testament, he says, as it's written, none is righteous, no, not one. We are all Christian, not Christian, everybody in our default position, walking on a road that goes to destruction. And yes, that's hard to hear. And we want to tell ourselves, no, 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 no. I'm going to heaven. You don't understand. Maybe I'm being self-righteous, but maybe, you know what? Here, I expect that it's heaven. You know, here's the problem. I, I'm just going to say that Jesus is wrong. And I think that's where some people have gotten to. In the church, I think there are people who have said, I just need to ignore hell. It's too scary. It's too much. Jesus is wrong. He doesn't really know what he's talking about. Eventually, they, we all get out. Or eventually, everybody goes to heaven. Or eventually, you know, you just get snuffed out and you vanish into the, into the nothing. It can't be eternal. It, it can't be forever. It's difficult. And what Jesus is challenging us to is that we have to agree or disagree with him. We have to agree or disagree with the God of the Bible. And here's the thing. We have to tell him, no, you're wrong. I'll go to another religion. And what do you find there? I don't think you're going to find eternal life. You may find the opportunity to come back a lot to this world. I mean, reincarnation is awful. You want to go through this again? You want to go back through all the politics and all the junk and all this stuff? You want to go through that again? That's reincarnation offers you. Oh, man, we're going to get ourselves into this awesome situation where I don't exist anymore. No, I don't think we want to be in a situation where we don't exist anymore. No, we want eternal life. We want a good life, the best kind of life. But that means we have to change our expectations. See, when I misunderstand where I'm heading, I must understand what I need to be ready. And here, Jesus is telling us, this is where you're heading. You need to be ready. But when we expect heaven, we misunderstand our need. We misunderstand how to be ready. In fact, what's interesting is we misunderstand that Jesus isn't wrong, that God is actually telling us that he's right. You say, well, how do you know that? The resurrection. God said, look at my son, Jesus. He told you you're on that direction. I'm telling you he's right. And I rose him from the dead to capture your attention. And maybe you're here and you're going like, I don't know about that resurrection stuff. It's a miracle. I'm just, well, let me just challenge you for a second. You need to examine the resurrection. You need to find out because if Jesus rose from the dead, then God said, absolutely, he's right. And Jesus is right that we're on the wrong road. And we need to find that narrow gate. We need to find that life. But here's the thing. If Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, you can ignore it. But let me ask you, have you examined it really? How do you explain the empty tomb? How do you explain the disciples' belief 
that they saw Jesus alive. How do we explain that there was these men like James, who was the brother of Jesus, and he goes from my brother's crazy to my brother's God? How do we explain that Paul, who was once somebody who killed Christians, became the one who planted the majority of the churches when they both said, I saw Jesus alive? That's what changed me. How do we explain the boldness of the disciples to be even willing to die for the claim that Jesus is alive? How do we explain the existence of a church proclaiming the movement of a man, a podunk little teacher from a podunk little town and a giant empire that nobody would have remembered if he hadn't come back to life? You have to explain the church movement. You have to explain the power the Christians have experienced. There's so much there. You have to explain, at least admit, maybe, just maybe there's a little bit more information that you need. And then maybe that means that Jesus could be right. And for all of the horror and all of the fear, we could be going in the wrong direction towards destruction. But if we still think, hey man, I'm going to heaven, then we misunderstand our need. In fact, we misunderstand heaven. Just this word. See, we think of heaven as a place that we're going to go to that's better than this one, right? Oh man, when I get to heaven, it's gonna be so awesome because I'm gonna get to do this, I'm gonna get to do that. If you've ever seen like the movie, What Dreams May Come or something like that, there are movies about heaven and they're oftentimes all about what I get, the kind of wish fulfillment. It's the best world possible for me. I get to see the people I want, do the things I wanna do. And see, the thing about heaven, the way we understand it today is, if we've twisted it, I get to be God in heaven. And that's not how heaven is. We mistake that heaven is the opposite of destruction. It's not. Look at what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The opposite of destruction, then, he goes on to say, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Life is the opposite of destruction. Eternal life is the opposite of destruction. It isn't heaven. See, we get it all wrong. We get it all on the wrong conversation. We think it's about this place. I get to go enjoy life after, after I've died. And what it is, is that no, it's a kind of life that you get to have after you've died. It's a kind of life that you get to have. It's not a destroyed life. It's an eternal life. In fact, Jesus said it in, a, in the same way in another place. In John 3.16, we saw this last week. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's the same word as destruction. Perish, but have eternal life. The opposite of destruction, the opposite of perishing is to have the eternal kind of life. Well, what kind of life is that? Again, John told us as Jesus is praying, he says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You see, this is about a relationship with God. This is about, is it broken or is it right? And when you have a right relationship with God and you come to heaven, when you die, guess what you're going to find? You're going to find the one who lives in heaven willing to bring you in. You see, heaven is a place and it is called the abode of God. See, hell is the place where we're gods. We do what we want, when we want, how we want, because it's about us. Heaven is the place you're going to find God is fully God. That in heaven, it's God's house. It's God's home. It's God's kingdom. It's God's rule. And it's a relationship with God. It's about eternal life that is to know God, the true God. And so when you get to 
the end of your life to the final level. And Jesus says, you're walking on the road and you meet God at the door and you say, you're that God who killed all those Canaanites. You're that God who told me that there's people going to hell. You're that God who did it. I don't want anything to do with you. He's going to look and say, well, I don't really know you either. You're free to go. And I, I fear that many times what we will do is we will walk ourselves to destruction because we don't want to be with the one that makes heaven heaven. You see, heaven's about that relationship with God. It's about the eternal kind of life. And the question is, do you need that kind of life? I believe that we do. I believe we need this kind of life because Jesus is telling us, if you want that kind of life, you want a relationship with God. If you want a relationship with God, that means you're going to get to heaven one day and he's going to say, I know you, come in. Because you're going to be his child. You're going to be in a relationship with him. You're going to walk with him. See, the opposite of that destruction, the opposite of hell, is not some heaven where we get to do stuff. It's a relationship with God. Now, the question from you is, do you know you need that? Do you know you need this kind of life? See, where you're at, you, you may be right now really considering, oh my gosh, if Jesus is risen from the dead, if he's really telling me I'm headed to destruction, you feel the overwhelming fear and the overwhelming thing that I feel right now just talking about it. But here's the thing. Jesus said, you're on a road. There's a chance now to find life. And he said that God sent his son, his son, his beloved son. I, I have three sons. I wouldn't give up one son. Yeah, he gave up his only son to bear our sins, to take our rebellion, to take all that evil and to make us right with his father. And on the cross, he bore that. And it says, if you will trust him, he will make you right with God. If you will trust him, he'll give you eternal life, he said. And that is a relationship with the God who made you. You will get off the road to destruction, which is a rebellion against God, to the relationship with God, a right relationship. And you'll walk with him and you'll know him. And he makes you good. He transforms who you are. No matter where you are on that spectrum, you could be in jail listening to this. You could be at home. You could have just done some horrible sin. And God is willing, if you are willing, to receive you in, if you are willing to trust him that Jesus bore your sins on the cross and that he rose from the dead to give you eternal life. In fact, right now, if that's you and you're making that decision, you say, yes, I want to trust him. How do I respond? Here's how you respond. I just want you to text BEGIN to 951-382-5111. Just tell us, you're saying BEGIN. The reason we're doing it this way is so that you can say, yes, that's me. I, I want to know more. We want to connect with you. If you're watching this on our online, you can hit that I raise my hand moment right now and you can let us know. Then we want to connect with you. So the opportunity now is to begin this journey, this journey in a relationship with God, to get off the road that goes to destruction, to that ban, and to get on the road that goes to life, to have that eternal life, that relationship with God right now. Now, one more thing, Christians. As we think about this concept of destruction, it can cause us to want to back away. But see, when we ignore where people are going, we don't share the solution. We freak out when we don't think that, and me, yeah, yeah, you know, people are going to go to hell. When we don't actually believe that, we keep our mouths closed. And I want to challenge you because that's not what Jesus taught us to do. We need to ask ourselves, do we really think that people need this eternal kind of life? And if you answer yes right now, then realize 
realize this, what Jesus said just before this. In fact, look at your Bible. You've got it open. Go up to verse 12. One up. Notice what he says. For whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. See, what Jesus just did right there is he said, you need to love people by being unfair to yourself. You know, it, it's kind of unfair to yourself to have to tell somebody where they might be going, where they're going if they don't change their ways. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. That's scary. It's hard for them to hear. It's hard for you to deliver. But love is willing to do the hard things. And Jesus says, hey, if you would want somebody to tell you if you were going in the wrong direction, tell them. And so what did Jesus do? He exampled it and he told us, hey guys, you're headed down a broad road leading to destruction. Go find the narrow gate. Go for it. And we need to get out there in love and compassion, not jerkiness and self-arrogance and all that stuff. No, but with compassion, with the right heart and let people know, hey, you may be headed in this direction, but you don't have to go there. You don't have to go there because God has given a gift that's free of his son on the cross and you can find eternal life. Let me pray. God, I pray that you would make us bold, that you'd help us in that boldness to be compassionate, caring, and loving because you've called us to treat others as we want to be treated. And you've called us then to share this knowledge of where we're going if we don't seek life. God, help us in our compassion, help us in our love to care for people to bring them to this place, that they may hear that they can have eternal life, a relationship with God, if they just would receive Christ. We thank you, God, for what you've given to us. We thank you, Jesus, that you've given us yourself on the cross and your resurrection. Help us now to walk in that life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.